Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Hello, so this evening I have the immense privilege of podcasting with Merle Osbergård from Sweden. So hello Merle and thank you so much for agreeing to podcast with us this evening. Thank you, hello, so honoured to be invited. Could you give us a little bit of background about yourself and what you've been doing? Um, I've had a little look on the internet and you are famous really within Sweden, within the uh, Scandinavian countries, but relatively is it fair to say unknown over here but I've read some of what you've written and it's absolutely amazing so we are so so pleased to be able to share this now with everybody in the UK so uh yeah please could you just let let people know what um what you've been doing oh uh, yeah thank you for that presentation wow I big shoes to fill now but uh, yeah I'm born in Colombia came to Sweden um was uh, coerced into prostitution as a child. I was 14, starting to be outspoken about the prostitution when I was 17. I wasn't an activist then. I was just a person in prostitution who felt the threat of being quiet, being silenced, was was much bigger of a threat than 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 just being 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 able to speak out. Uh, living in a small town, that wasn't easy, but I made a choice. I was in prostitution for 16 years. Right now, I am probably one of the few actually speaks about being in prostitution and being a mom simultaneously. Because I was a mom for several years to my eldest daughter while I was in prostitution. I got out four years ago. It did change characters after I gave birth to Corinne, which is my old eldest child, oldest child. Before I had my daughter, I was in uh, substance abuse. So that ended before I got my daughter, but the prostitution wouldn't let go of me. So uh, so yeah, I kept I kept with the prostitution until 2015, where I just said I'm gonna try and live the life where there's been will be no prostitution, no backdoor, no. I will be poor if I have to. I will end up in debt if I have to, and I will not hurt myself anymore to that. Uh, yeah. So you said you went in at 14. I mean that's very very young. How how did that come about? Because you know, one of the things that we hear about the Nordic countries, about the Swedish model and so on, is that this doesn't happen, that younger people are, end up in this situation. Uh, well, sadly, I, I've heard that too when I've been out uh, speaking to people outside of Sweden. Sadly, that is that is a lie. It's a bold-faced lie. Uh, prostitution happens in Sweden as it happens in many countries. You are being groomed or forced, uh, manipulated into prostitution in the same way. Uh, we don't differ from the other countries. I think that the age where people in general enter uh, prostitution is between 12 and 13 or something. I think... Uh, there's a very low number when you think about it globally. I think it's slightly higher in Sweden, but it's, it, it follows the same pattern. I was bullied. Uh, I had low self-esteem. I had friends. I have parts of my childhood that is happy, but I grew up in a primarily white upper-class neighborhood where being black 
uh, being a girl uh, was it was not normal and it was not like the things I can read now about how black girls are being sexualized at an early age and uh, the rights we have to our bodies and our sexuality and how early that is taken away from us I can really relate to that so when I was 13 I was uh, pretty heavily harassed. I had my first encounter with a, a man who was a couple of years older than me. The, and how the story goes when, when you do something with a guy and that just ends up in the school paper. We didn't have a school paper, but everyone knew and this just went on and on. So my, my sense of self was very low and I had what I thought was a friend who really took advantage of that. So um, I, was, I was raped the first time when I was 14. And after that, this person really saw an opportunity to get me into prostitution. Uh, so uh, it was this—it uh, was really threat, being being able to threaten me, saying that I will tell people, uh, your parents, about that you drink, that you had sex with a guy, that people load you, that people think you're a slut. If you don't do that, and looking back at a 14-year-old as a 34-year-old, I would say you could just have tried to reach out. You could just have lived with the fact that your parents knew. But as a 14-year-old, that was already in a bad situation. That was too much to bear, too much, too big of a threat. So, so I did that. And uh, well, of course, the gun was even bigger on my head after I did that the first time. So I got stuck that way. You know, obviously, once you're in that situation as a child, yeah, that's quite a big thing to be dealing with. Did you consider exiting? Was there any help for you? Was there any services available to you to reach out to? Well, we have some services in Sweden, but the problem is that most of them, we have, well, we have three, oh uh, yeah, we have three recep- different receptions in Sweden in the three larger cities. And they are called the the, the mica receptions. Uh, they they have been in Sweden from the seventies, but I didn't know about them at first because they're in the major cities. I'm in a small town. In my small town, uh, I could have told I could have reached out to social security networks. Even when it comes to prostitution, there's no guarantee because when I was when I was 15, I actually did try and reach out after being in prostitution for a little over a year. I tried to talk to them. I tried to explain my situation. And I was demonized to say, like, a, when they looked at me, like I was the perpetrator, like I was a demon, like I was an adult making my own decisions. So even if you can reach out, our experiences, my experiences, along with a lot of other people living in Sweden with the same experience as me, is that you do reach out and you feel worse after you do. So uh, because uh, what happened to me was that I was uh, described as overly sexual. I was described as uh, a, almost like a predator because of my background in prostitution. And this was when I just turned 16. I've I been in prostitution for well almost two years. Uh, I came there after a breakdown, after being locked in a, an apartment in Stockholm uh, by another pimp because this, this happens you get passed around uh, so after that I just turned to the receptions that we had that were uh, working with all kinds of youth it was not prostitution it was just youth people under the age of 22 I think who needed uh, prescriptions or you know condoms or whatever and they were they were kinder to me they wanted to talk to me but I couldn't tell them about the position, I was so embarrassed, I was so ashamed. And once I did, when I ended up in a psychiatric facility, this, the demonization started, it began. It was uh, like I was, 
I was locked in there for five months and you did, I didn't receive any trauma treatment. I didn't receive any care. I was being told that you should never, ever tell anyone about what had happened to you because people won't be, don't, doesn't want to be a friend if you tell them. You won't get in, in a, any relationships. You will, uh, it will be hard for you to get a job and, and go into school. So basically, it was just five months of shaming. And I, I, and just, I will tell, tell you this, tomorrow I'm going back to the same facility almost 20 years later after addressing them and saying that this pattern hasn't stopped. You've continuously kept acting, like, acting the same way as you did to me. We need to talk about how you treat people that come from, uh, comes from uh, prostitution, who comes from being a survivor of abuse, because they've shown that same pattern over and over and over again, the same problem. When you're looking back on that and you're thinking, you know, what would have been of benefit to you? What what do you think? What would be the best or the ideal model that that would have benefited you back then? Well, that's the one million dollar mm. question. Going back, what I wish would have happened is that they would have treated me like a victim, uh, and that I would have been, uh, that I could have gotten trauma treatment. Because even though I was uh, still a child, I was uh, being very sort of closed off emotionally because of everything that has happened. If you just gave me the choice, that would I that I could have kept that, even if I said no and just went on to do everything that happened after that. What I feel now is that I was shamed and blamed for something that wasn't my fault, um, and I carried that with me instead. And I think that that hurted me more. So. Quite a movement here for people to say, well, to do that would be you know, a rescue industry. It's victimising people rather than empowering them. And um, so I'm quite interested to hear what your view would be on that. That you know we shouldn't treat women and girls in prostitution as victims because to do so is to be patronising, essentially. So, so what would you say to them? I, I would probably ask them. Who are you helping with with that sort of angle into it? Are you really helping the per, per, people in person, uh, the person in prostitution? Because being patronising, saying that uh, that you're a victim of a circumstance, is not to me the same thing. I I've, I met some of them in Sweden too. That everything is shaming. You can't talk about even exiting because that would be shaming. I think it's a larger, it's a far bigger shame to say that you should live in your gutter of feelings and trauma and constant rapes and just being brutalized because I don't feel like helping you because very often, if not all the time, when people start talking about that it would be shaming to help people in prostitution, there is people with absolutely no experience whatsoever about prostitution. They are theorizing prostitution. They are probably reading a lot of old reports from an era, which is still happening in a lot of, a lot of places and countries where it's basically the sex lobbyists who have gotten into the system and just poisoned it. It's the same pe- person that goes passes a child on the streets with no clothes and is dying, saying that I can't help everyone. But, but it, yeah, it's, it's more problematic to me that to talk mm-hmm. about shaming because it's basically saying that we should enable you to be in prostitution rather than helping you out of it. And who are you helping? You're only helping the pimps, the sex buyers, uh, to sort of preserve the status quo of things. So in an ideal world, um, what would you see set up 
I mean, we, we have over here, we're looking very much at uh, two models. One is decriminalisation of everything, including what some people call management and others call pimps. And then the other is the Nordic model, which I think is often held up as this sort of perfect model. As someone who actually lives in Sweden and has experienced prostitution in Sweden, what are your views on that? Well, I, I stand behind the Swedish model. I think it's a great model, but um, my critique of the same is that it was not thoroughly implemented in the system. If you look at how, how the police and uh, the courtrooms are uh, really implementing the law, they're doing a great job a lot of the times. A lot of the times when prostitution, especially when it comes to people under 18, they will do proper investigations and they will bring people to justice. But when you look at the other side, which is also in the motivation for the law, looking at the the people in prostitution as victims who should receive treatments or should receive resources, that was not properly implemented. When you look at our statistic that says that 72% of the Swedish population is for the Scandinavian Swedish model, I used to say, uh, yeah, therefore that they think that it's not right to buy another person. But if you ask the question differently, if you were asked, do you think that the people in prostitution have themselves to blame? You, you probably would get a different answer. But as a model, as a, uh, something that people should try, strive after to, uh, to implement in their countries, I say that I will always back the Scandinavian model. It is a great model when it's properly implemented. And we are doing plenty of that work now when we are really starting to bring the question up on the to the surface that maybe we should look at how how we could implement it like that. Or we're talking to police, we're talking to people in the healthcare sector, uh, teachers, uh, social workers. We're talking to all of them, trying to just strive to the goal of having people to understand what the other part of the law was. And you know, fill in the gap when it comes to so, to policy implementation and so on. So, if it were to work as it was set up to, so with proper resources available to women in prostitution in order to exit, with a little bit more on the social side and a little bit less on the legal side, perhaps, do you, would you say that that would be almost an improvement? Could it be improved on? The law is actually very good written, like. Word for word, it is a very good law. I wouldn't change that. I would probably make the penalties, even though, uh, even though we know that uh, you know longer penalties, longer, how do you say, yeah, prison time, almost never serve as the purpose that we think it does. When it comes to prostitution, like sex buyers, they get um, they're only charged and never really imprisoned. They get they get fines now, and but the government are talking about actually giving prison time. For prostitution. It is in the law that they could get prison time for doing that, but uh, yeah, they're talking about actually like being more clear about that and uh, maybe extending that. Yeah, but when it comes to the other part, sorry if I misunderstood your question, uh, yeah. but I, I, I feel like I need to take an example to explain just really how it was not properly implemented. If you look at the, the social department in Sweden, they are uh, have they have their own law, which is you know just mirroring other laws. And in there, people in prostitution are not named as victims. They're not named at all. Which means when I was 18, trying to get resources because I wanted to leave prostitution, the social worker in front of me looked at me and said, "Well, it's a job. You have made plenty of money the last couple of months. So I just have to re." you know, look at how much you've made and see if we are able to give you money. 
So she, she just did some calculations and said, well, you know what, you're welcome back in three months. Because that was the estimated figure that she said that I had like a proper income. People often in Sweden gasp when I tell them this, like this is legal now due to that we have an implemental hole in the system saying that it's okay for each and every one social worker to, to, to view it differently as, the, as their own will or, uh, you know, uh, how they see things. So that is a hole that I'm currently trying to, you know, just fill up with taking different you know, contacts, trying to influence politicians and, uh, you know, so the social department saying that you need to launch an investigation and you need to shut that down. You, we need to have, every, well, it shouldn't matter who you meet we should have legislation saying that if you're in a person in prostitution, you should be able to start from square one because you are a person that has been victimized. So that is one one thing that we are working with. And so that wasn't taken into account when you, you say you're 18 trying to leave and it's reduced to, well, can we match the income rather than have you experienced trauma? Exactly. Because, because right now it's up to each and everyone to make their own, yeah, decision about how they were and but many people would say that really you don't have that right if you look at the law and if you look at the the government explanation of how they want to work but then you have something in Sweden called municipal independence in every municipal they are have their own social workers working for them so in one municipal, they will say that we are not working with people in prostitution. This is this is not something that we highlight. This is not something that we want to give resources in. We think that we have plenty people are working with substance abuse. So people in prostitution will go under that group if they want help. So they will only help people with substance abuse. Uh, I come from a small town like that. That that is the municipal that earlier has had that sort of you know way to work, and it's very destructive. It means that no one is getting help. This is this is really, really fascinating um, from a sort of legal perspective and a human rights perspective, particularly, because obviously one thing that we're we're often hearing is that the Nordic model, you know, has these theories, but we're not really seeing because it's not in practice in the UK, we're not seeing how it would work in practice. So something that we're working on as Philia is the possibility of sort of updating the Nordic model because it is 20 years old now in order to really bolster that possibility of making available resources, ensuring that, um, for example, uh, women don't lose contact with their children um, as a result of being in prostitution, uh, ensuring that the council, uh, which is our local municipality, uh, has a duty of housing, uh, all those types of things. So do you think with some scaffolding, a theory like that would be workable? Oh, yes, it would be a great idea to update the Nordic model, I think. I, I, I am currently planning an international conference on prostitution and human trafficking, which is, for me, basically the same thing. You can be trafficked, trafficked within your own city. But, uh, yes, that just should highlight the implementa- implementation part and, if you may, like the update part, like what do we need to work with? Because if you look at resources when it comes to prostitution and helping people in prostitution if they're not based on the actual needs of the people in prostitution they are worthless i can take for example sweden again like we have had during the last 20 years quite a quite big sum of money being put into research being put into working with an issue 
but there's no trickle-down effect. So all that money will disappear sideways. It will be to high, go to high governmental officials that goes to fancy conferences, not arranged for social workers or policemen or any other person, not uh, nurses. It will just be the upper class people working with each other. Uh, and I've criticized that. So, yes, please update the law, update it and make sure that you really make sure that there is a resource trickle down. It, it could be money. It could be competence, just knowledge, sharing competences, like all of that is so valuable if you do that, because it will make it will be making a big change. Mm-hmm. And also when people say, and I keep hearing this, even in Sweden, like, almost every day you need to listen to the sex workers yeah you need to listen to the people in prostitution when you're talking about resources helping them you need to you need to really listen to them not the sex workers what's the distinction the distinction is that everyone pretty much can call themselves a sex worker uh, a sex worker can be a pimp it can be a buyer really if <laughs> he gets money for doing that like in porn for example I would say that it could be someone working in an erotic shop I wouldn't say that that comes nearly to the to the experience of being in prostitution as a prostitute being a sex worker I think it's just a way to a patriarchal wash if you may of of something that should be yeah should be aiming to help and protect people uh, instead, it's it's used to normalize and put like an yeah normalize yeah I, normalize prostitution, normalize brutality, normalize people's lack of choices. And that's what we're hopefully working to end. So we're really looking forward to your conference. I hope that Philia will be able to attend. I hope that you'll be able to come to Philia as well. I am looking so much forward to come and see you this fall and. Uh, Yes, only not not even hell can keep me away. So I will be there. Brilliant. I think that this is uh, the beginning of a really, really exciting partnership to really change the world. So thank you so much for talking to me this evening. And I'm looking forward to meeting you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And I look forward to meeting you too.